welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast. The show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my sentient bomb who's annoyed with his co-workers. Sorry to interrupt your recreation time, Griffey. Alex Dandino. <laughs> oh boy. All right, guys. Uh... <laughs> Today, we are stuffing stockings with the John Carpenter joint, Dark Star. But before that, a little business. Guys, it's official. We're on Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash Film Alchemist Podcast. Guys, it's the absolute best way to help the show. It's the absolute best way to make sure this show is exactly what you want and deserve. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get in, join our community, uh, get to meet the other lovely patrons. And as you climb our official Highlander tier ranking system, you can begin to select the specific films you want us to discuss in a Patreon exclusive library. Guys, every single dollar helps and is appreciated, we assure you. So make sure you're going over there. Join the fun. Make sure to invite your friends. Every time we do a curation, we let our patrons vote on the final movie of the four. You guys have so much access to getting the movies you want on the feed. We're going to put in a gargantuan amount of work in the new year to make sure that this is worth your time. So for those of you who support us, thank you. It means the world for to us. For those of you who are about to, thank you as well. Make sure you go to YouTube. Uh, your eyes will thank you later. Subscribe to our channel, Film Alchemist. See video versions of most of our podcasts there. You can uh, email us, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the socials uh, us and the other hip youngsters are on. Just marketing and branding and vertically integrating our asses all across the webs. <laughs> you can find us there. Make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you find the show. Helps us defeat the algorithmic overlords that try to hold us down. And we'll stand for it no more. Uh, all right. That's enough business, guys. Sorry, I'm feeling squirrely today, man. I'm feeling squirrely. This year's run me ragged. I feel like a ragged spaceman, a ragged space. We've done a lot of blue-collar sci-fi this month. We feel raggedy and alone in space. Uh, so today's stocking stuffer was selected by our friend Ness. They found Dark Star recently, and it seems to have had a very big impact on them. So Ness selected Dark Star, won one of our stuffing, uh, stocking stuffer spots. So Ness, we hope that you enjoy this episode, especially. So Dark Star, John Carpenter's first film. Uh, as you know, we love John Carpenter on this show. We did an entire John Carpenter month. I think someday there's a chance we'll have done every John Carpenter. I don't know that this would have been one of the next ones we got to. So this is a fun and exciting chance to look at essentially a student film. But based on who's working on it, this is a really interesting relic uh, in film history to go back and watch. Alex, what did you make of Dark Star? Yeah, it's a cool thing to see the beginning, you know, like I think a lot of people always want to say a lot of people want to watch, you know, Halloween um, because, you know, it's really like one of obviously it's Carpenter's big breakout hit. But it's interesting to watch movies like this, which, yeah, like literally it started as a, I think it was 
a 45 minute film student film on a thousand dollar budget which is adjusted for inflation still really impressive <laughs> super impressive like, super impressive <laughs> even with today's like your iphone can become a wonderful camera yes and a thousand dollars would still be impressive so to shoot a 40 minute film <laughs> and like it's interesting to see the bones of not just john carpenter's career but also dan o'bannon who was the co-writer for the movie dan o'bannon went on to write also edited and did some effects work i think not only that he's in the movie He's one of the actors in the movie. Uh, Dan O'Bannon plays, I believe, Boiler? Um, no, sorry, he's Sergeant Pinback. My bad. Mm-hmm. Um, not Boiler. I keep, I keep, it was the mustache. The mustache throws me off. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's fun to watch these kinds of movies and you see you see the skills. Like, not like, you know, it's, it's not like a thing where you're like, oh, yeah, well, obviously they're legendary. It's not like watching... You know, it, but it's like watching a movie, another movie we watched um, for next month. Um, you know, I've, I've you know I've watched how many times have you watched Pi? You know, and you know that that's a Darren Aronofsky movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just you see the you see the skills, you see the the husk, you see the fun yeah. stuff that they're willing to do and ready to do. And like again, I love, I love that it's a Carpenter movie. The Dan O'Bannon is actually is even more interesting given what Dan O'Bannon wound up doing later on. so Yes, and I think what's really funny about that is I don't see many of the roots of what Carpenter became in this I kind of don't either. I feel like this is much more Dan O'Bannon. Well, because Dan O'Bannon, you can see the straight line from this film into Alien, right? Yeah. Where you just have these kind of blue-collar space truckers right Mm -hmm. running about on their own doing whatever i mean a sentient alien escapes and is attacking uh dan o'bannon right and so you see a lot of the roots of what that became and there's this very odd this movie's listed as a satire right almost like a parody film which i would argue it's there are definitely moments where it's kind of tongue-in-cheek right like the sentient alien beach ball right some of the dialogues, there, there's obviously a comedic overtone to a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that they were making like a meet the Spartans of space exploration. <laughs> no, like. not at all. I mean, and I... what is weird to me, it plays more as like things we see now where you see these young people on the online. Right. They just make like a Power Ranger movie because they love Power Ranger movies. Right. This kind of in more than a satire. This reads as a love letter to the science fiction worlds that were beginning to crop up at this time, these wonderful science fiction worlds, right? Like you get a lot of 2001 at riffs in this, Mm -hmm. a lot of these great things that pop up. And so it's funny to think of a world where John Carpenter just went this way and became kind of the, you know, comedy director who's just, instead of writing like iconic Halloween scores, he's writing like, this weird Smokey and the Bandit song in space. And there, there's a world where this thing goes such a different way. I mean, yeah. the the interstellar route between this film and Halloween. It's pretty amazing. Uh, is a zigzag at best, right? The, the wormhole calculations you'd have to do are pretty incredible. Uh, yeah. So what are some things about this film that were working for you, Alex? Uh, it's weird. The thing that I, um, I had a really good time watching um these guys interact like each of these characters are very specific um there's nothing about like uh 
Doolittle, who's the like the commander, as it were. <laughs> just like spends the, I, I fucking love like the beginning of the movie. Him just like literally just hates Pinback. Just constantly. They all snapping. fucking hate. Pinback. Everybody hates Pinback because he's a fucking prankster. He's a goof. He's a goof guy. Um, well, also because he's not Pinback. Well, he's a fucking low test scoring uh, fuel Frong. technician who stole a suicidal man's flight suit. Awesome. And just got swept aboard, but then constantly thinks he needs to be in charge. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I like the back and forth. Like some of that stuff's a lot of fun. Um, again, the set design. For a bit. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. For like, six, I think this the final budget on this is sixty six thousand dollars, right? So is that I, what I read? Yeah. So I actually did a lot of. I was I had spent the afternoon. I watched this movie and then I spent the afternoon just reading everything I could about how. The, there's also like a feature length documentary about how this movie was made too. Which really, yeah, which I'd I, be fascinated. To I watch really want to find. Do you know what it's called? Yeah, I do actually. It's called the Odyssey of the Dark Star. Uh, the Let There Be Light, the Odyssey of Dark Star. I would be really interested to see this documentary, which was released That's on, awesome. which was, um, let's see the latest, the last, bl- there was a Blu-ray edition of this movie that was released, the Thermostellar edition, which includes the, thea- only the theatrical version and the special features of the 2010 DVD release. There are two different versions of this film, by the way. Um, there's a director's cut and then there's a theatrical cut. Of course. I watched the Tubi cut. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> I'm letting my non-film bona fides. I actually... Are cinephiles, are we supposed to be ashamed of Tubi as cinephiles? Because if I'm being honest, Tubi's library is... Tubi's library studly. is fucking awesome. It's studly. It's I don't decent. love having to watch six to ten commercials every couple of minutes, but their library is awesomely fun. I will say this. This was... I usually... When, I, when it's available, I will watch it on Tubi. This is the first time... I, I straight up rented this and watched it. Because I was just like, I wanted to watch it all the way through. Because, again, like, it's the same thing. Like, when Tubi does these commercials, like, oh, God. And it's like, you can't, like, it's always, like, four minutes of commercials, too. Like, granted, it's nice to have a pee break. But, like, at the same time, it's really (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah. so just like, who needs this much fucking dough? Did you have any idea how much dough our country was selling as a people? That's neither here nor there. (laughs) No idea. So apparently there's a real need for dough or else your family gatherings fall apart into anarchy and chaos. So the very final, much like the dark stuff. So the final budget ends up being about $60,000. This starts as that's amazing. This starts as a 45 minute movie for a thousand dollars. And then they got an additional five. And then, so they shot this 16 millimeter project that ends up being a $6,000 thing. And then they complete like the first version. They, uh, I don't know if you know this, the um, voice of uh, the voice for, um, sorry, I'm, uh, it's the voice for Talby okay. had to be ADR'd by John Carpenter. Because the guy who played Talby apparently had such a thick accent, they couldn't hear him and they couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> so. John Carpenter ADR'd and looped all his... He's doing all the dialogue for Talby. Which, I gotta say, again, for a student film, wow, that is really good ADR work because it's almost indistinguishable. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. This this is a... <laughs> for I mean, this is an ambitious fucking student film, Fuck, right? yeah, like, dude. To make a space... I mean, they have matte paintings of space, planets exploding... 
hyperdrive, sentient bombs, the set design of the ship. The only thing where you're like, that's where they saved is like the sentient beach ball. Yes. Right? You're like, they saved a little money there. I'd say the sentient but beach ball and the, and the living quarters effect. are where they clearly saved their money. But even the living quarters, I'm like, that took art departmenting. Not like a lot, but <laughs> you had to throw around some porno mags and leftover wrappers. Hey, right? in, on the Tubi version, is um, are the porno mags on the back wall, are they blurred? I don't think so. Really? Or maybe my mind just drew the breast in. <laughs> Do you think it's like an adult coloring book? My well, mind just added the The reason stuff. I'm asking is because I was reading online, actually, that they they blurred originally they blurred the centerfolds out themselves to achieve oh my god to achieve a so g, like a two executive a went in and rating. drew the nips <laughs> to achieve a g rating for the movie i love how they didn't think to just not have porno mags on the wall to get the g rating i know you're like but they're whoa, like whoa, whoa. we'll blur in post Listen. Yeah, I love every that. film student wrongfully <laughs> says we'll fix it in post. I love the debate. <laughs> I, I love the idea of the debate. Like Carpenter walks in and goes, "This is pretty. This is good. Yeah, yeah." The, the, I like the nudie mags on the back wall. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have to blur that though to get the rating. It is the nudie mags are a horrifying decision though. How? You can't have three men living in a food covered together, surrounded by pornography. I just in the love, middle of space with no human contact. I love the scenario in which Carpenter fought for the nudie mags. Be like, it's integral that they are on the back wall there. You'll have to blur it if you want. I'd rather die than not have those nudie mags yeah. on the back wall. This is something I've seen in like some Vietnam movies and stuff. And I'm like, what a weird use of your pornography is to be like, I need to hang this on the wall like it's a fucking sports poster. Right? Like, here's my yeah. quarterback. Here's my cup size. Like, this is what I'm into. This is how I define me, right? In the film, we see the the loss of humanity, right? These these poor men, right? Like, Pinback's not even Pinback. No. Uh, Doolittle can't even remember his own name, right? Uh, they're lost, right? They have this, these, this hippie-in-the-van quality about them. Well, and so the only thing they have left to cling to not only is are they which lost. naked ladies they choose to use. This is the other thing. I'm like, how much tape do they have on this spaceship? Right. Not, only are they, not only are they lost, like, I love the way this movie begins, by the way. So it starts with this transmission from, like... Oh, my God, yes, the space transmission. Now, again, like, it actually sets the tone really well for the movie because, like, the space transmission from, like, I don't know, I assume a general of some kind. It's like, yeah. sorry about that guy who died, and uh, it sounds like your ship's fucked Ten up. Ten-year delayed, by the way. Ten-year yeah. delayed. Yeah. <laughs> Ten-year delayed. Again, like, it's this perfect amalgam of, like, sorry, your ship's fucked up. It sounds like you guys are lost. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, the guy died. That sucks. Yeah. We mo we mourned him here for a week. You're like, did they need to know any of that? Yeah, we believe in you. Fuck off. Enjoy <laughs> God that. Save the queen. Yeah, or whatever they say. Right. God save the Earth Queen. And then they just get about. So the job of the Dark Star in this film, I thought, was kind of a cool idea. They run around and blow up unstable planets to clear the road for colonization. Yeah. Right? And. From what I gather in the film, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of colonizing, right? Wouldn't they be communicating no. with people closer if they're colonizing? It's a fun idea, though. That our idea of we need to go out in space to make this ready for us is just we're going to go up and fucking annihilate everything in our path. That was funny to me. I, I agree. Cool. I think I like the idea that 
yeah, so the the mission is very clear. It's like we got to blow up these planets that uninhabitable planets. It's like these guys are the last people you would imagine. Again, it's it's like it's this perfect analog to Alien because Alien essentially it's like the crew of the Nostromo are essentially tow truck tow truck operators, mm-hmm. which is cool. Like if you really think about it, that's actually Space kind of truckers. Yeah, it's really interesting. So. Going to Darks, going from that to Darks, so Dark Star essentially these guys, yes, they have a mission, but it's like this meandering like mission of it's like the equivalent of you know owning a bar in a TV show. The only reason you have that is because like you need the ability to like not be at work occasionally so you can go do other hijinks. <laughs> well, see, I thought of them as almost their like intergalactic garbage truck drivers, right? It's like yeah. a little more specific version of Alien. The thing I think this movie accidentally does really well, and I don't know, maybe this is like the kind of beginnings of, because Dan O'Bannon obviously became a really wonderful screenwriter. He actually wrote one of my favorite books on screenwriting. I love Dan O'Bannon's book about screenwriting. It's good. Um, It's the one I go back to most often. Uh, One of the wonderful things about it is he goes through and sums up what is good and bullshit about everyone else's screenwriting book. (laughs) So that's really cool. But... I love the idea of this ship becomes such a fun idea, right? Because there's so many things that don't play as a space movie, right? Right. There is an unrealistic lack of concern for resource on this ship, right? Mm -hmm. These guys are smoking. They don't seem to have any concern about food or water when the planet Earth specifically said they're not sending any. Yeah. They apparently have at least 20 to 50 of these massive, massive school bus sized bombs and all we ever see them in is this tiny little you know it's kind of like what the airline said they want to do with our seats now because we're all getting fatter and they need to move us around (laughs) we're like we'll be looking at another the passenger imagine having to stare eye to eye at the passenger next to you the fucking hell i would airlock myself out if i had to do that (laughs) like oh now i get to smell your like full frontal smells and your feet will be closer to me and the breath we're breathing fucking Tylenol PM breath on each other. Gross. That's where we see these guys work. And then they all go, we found out they lost their quarters to like an asteroid. Yeah. And so now they just sleep where the food is. Apparently they're just all J oing around the cabin, <laughs> right? On these just unmade beds. With just just constantly J oing just nonstop. Yeah. But see, there, it's funny because you boiler start putting together the, the life the of The big boiler. Yeah, the big boiler. Yeah, that's... It's a bubbling, all right? Gross. <laughs> and that's what is so fucking baffling about this, right? And we find out that they don't fix the ship, right? That they can't remember their names. Uh, that they don't feel like they think they're ever getting back home, right? And one of the beats that arises I love is that, you know... Uh, I think it's Penback's like, do you think we'll find something out there, man? We might find some life. And uh, Doolittle, the cab's just like, I don't want to hear about that shit. Yeah. Man. Like, that was, Pal I went crazy that. looking for that shit. Find me something to blow up. Yeah. And I love the idea because so many science fiction movies, the idea is we need to go out there and find some other life. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we do that, there's a part of our subconscious, right? Or our maybe our species, the high mind of our species. We think that'll answer something. Or if nothing else, it'll cross a bunch of shit off, right? Like, right. it'd be really hard to still believe in, like, Jesus and the gang if, like, you know, they were, like, beach ball guys on three planets down. You know what I mean? We'd have to rework some shit. So, like, at least we'd have some answers. We could find <laughs> out what the wrong ones are. 
Uh, and so I think that's something that always fascinates us. The idea of this one is that we're just sending these men out to die and just destroy, right? Yeah. And not only that, they've been gone for 20-some years, and they've only aged three. There's a lot of these subtle visual elements and subtle reminders of the horror of space travel without ever really deviating from the comedic and kind of upbeat tone of the film. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's a testament to it's a testament to understanding tone early on. Yes. Which is pretty impressive. Like again, for a $60,000 student film, it's, 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 it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild that you put it together and not only that, like strike that tone really easily and not stray from it so that you're not, cause at any point in the movie, it could devolve into any number of subgenre or just like, you know, you could just do fucking alien, you know, like it's just yeah. at any point, it doesn't matter, but it's just such a fascinating, it's just a fascinating case study of like, you have people who are so dedicated to their craft and so dedicated to the art itself that all the people are coming along for the ride and, and including the audience. Like the fact that we're sitting yeah. here talking about it and we're watching it is, um, you know, it, it's fascinating to me. It's a fascinating. And because I think this is the other thing too, to get to your point, this is the, because they're so young it feels like they wouldn't have made this movie, this version of this movie, but five years later. No. This yeah. is the one where they're like young, full of piss and vinegar mm-hmm. college kids who think they know all the answers, right? right. Uh, we When we just we just covered uh, mother, little and big exclamation point. Uh, and that's one of the things you're like, that's like the pretentious, most pretentious kid in your film class. That would be like his thesis, right? He's going to prove he's outsmarting you. Right. And these guys are just like, we're going to go to work, man. Well, like, and we're so, showing we can do sci-fi. And comedy is really fucking hard to nail. So this was done between 1970 and 72. And then it got released in 74. Alien came out in 79. So yeah. like right in there, Dan O'Bannon is. Yeah, Halloween was 78. Halloween was 78. So like you have like, this is such a stepping stone to. And I think this is the cool thing. Cause like the budget, like the budget for Alien wasn't great. The budget for Halloween obviously wasn't great either. So like, you have these guys who literally are putting. Like it's the first they're putting their whole into this movie that isn't the world's most earth shattering science fiction comedy, but like, look what they could, look what they did with the sum of the whole yeah. of, with the sum of their parts. So like, of course they're going to be able to do something even more interesting later on. Which is why you get Alien. Which is why you get Halloween. I actually found out too. This is considered the first instance of depiction of hyperspace travel in a film, and the same look. Really? So this predates Star Wars, and Dan O'Bannon was a visual consultant on Star Wars. So they think that they he brought whatever the look was that that like mm. that star straying thing that they well, had because 2001 kind of did that in the end but he's not traveling as much as like his consciousness is right boring. right no no the way that they actually okay. have it where like the stars are strafing past yeah and that kind of you thing. know what's funny is i just assumed that was a riff on star wars i didn't chronologically place it in my mind it's yeah that's, dan that's o'bannon funny. bringing the bit to star wars which that's is really awesome. fascinating again like yeah. this is sort of like this 
That's what I mean. This movie is a, a more than watching it is like a great film. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun relic. It's interesting to watch it because it it hits the same way, like almost like Jodorowsky's Dune documentary hits, where you're like, oh wow, you see like just those little nuggets, those kernels of pieces that wind up in other movies that you know blew the fucking doors off a theater when they came out, like yeah. Alien, like Blade Runner, that kind of shit. But you see the pieces of Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter's later careers in this movie. Like the way that um, the elevators, the elevator scene, which is like, I fucking loved that. I thought that was great. Yeah. But like the whole thing with Penn back in the beach ball is shockingly long. It feels like it is. It's really long. But what you notice is John Carpenter works that tension. Dude, he does. And for being a big fucking stupid look like this is like. Top, top echelon, like dumbest creature creations ever in a film, right? Absolutely. Like this is like the early 1950s. Like we're making a science fiction monster movie a week level bad. Absolutely. And then worse. Um, but it, it works perfectly in this film and the amount that John Carpenter really gets that tension and that horror. And for what that elevator scene, if you told me that was 20 minutes, I'd be like, yeah, probably. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a long movie. It just felt like it never stopped yeah. happening. I agree. And yet. But even when that ball starts attacking Penback, at the start, I was like, oh, it's a piggyback ride. <laughs> and at one point, it tickles him, and you're like, that's weird. Yeah. But, like, it's thing. attacking him. And you're starting to get the, like, oh, this is not right. Something's happening. And you see John Carpenter working that tension and that whore mm-hmm. that just became the absolute trademarks, right? Yeah. Uh, or something else that I th- that one of the other things I thought worked exceptionally well in the film. Uh, I love the AI in this because it's. Yeah. It's also this wonderful thing that no one on the ship is communicating together, including the AIs. Yeah. And the humans. Right. Like no one is communicating. Everyone's on an island. Right. This is almost like a castaway, you know, times six or whatever. <laughs> But I love the idea that the AI is like, hey, bomb, don't activate. It was a malfunction. He's like, Jesus H, you pulled me out to the code of space, and this is the last warning. Like an AI bomb that has an operating system that wants to blow shit up. Yeah. And because it's an explosive life-ending mechanism, right, or world-ending mechanism, that it has a little curmudgeon in it and takes umbrage (laughs) – I really liked. I, I thought too, that was man. a great device, man. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I, I, I was really into that. That that felt next level to me, too. Yeah, I think that, I mean, just, and actually, even, like, the way that, uh, the way that Doolittle and Talby, like, they're, like, those endings were fascinating because they're clearly this kind of, uh, they're this, like, send-up almost of 2001, I'd say. But well, one of them is like a definite one of them is like esoteric uh, pool 2001 ending. Yeah. Yeah. One the, of them is the like Phoenix comets. I'm one of them, Dave. Right. And the other guy's like, I got it. Woo! Yeah. The other guy's like, I'm surfing, <laughs> bitch. Like it's <laughs> it's a really funny and it's really funny and it's really clever. But it also is like a really good. Again, it's it's clearly it's borrowing from all the right places. It's borrowing from all the right places without taking itself so seriously as, like, you know, anybody else would have, having seen 2001, like, oh, no, we have to make a very serious, artsy, 
film about the nature of space and yeah. the nature of being in existence. Like they're like, no man, this guy's going to fucking live his life the best way he knew how, which was to fucking space surf surfing, bro. all the way down to the like, like come on, yeah. That well, is even the the, that the AI. The they're like man. defeat him with phenomenology. <laughs> And so he's going out and doing like By philosophy way, for dummies. Yeah, I had to fucking Google that. I was like, I yeah. don't know what that is. I'm Thus done. Zarathustra spoke, right? Yeah. I was like, this is fucking hilarious. It's awesome. I loved it. And inside the other two guys are just fighting over a rifle and shit. And I was like, <laughs> this is just really fun payoff for this idea, right? Yeah. Uh I thought it was I just really liked it, man. I, I was enjoying that a lot. And I like the idea that, yeah, so the bomb goes back in the band. He's like, at first there was the void, and then there was me. You are hashtag fake news. <laughs> and he fucking blows up the ship, the pin back. I was like, that's just a wonderful ending. Like, And I, I think that's the thing, right? I think is a film in totality. Dark Star is not like a great film, right? Right. But I think if you are looking for just bits this movie has wonderful bits. A bit that I really liked. I like Pinback watching back his video log. Yeah. And watching him cool. evolve. That was yeah. a fucking wonderfully done bit. I like because that. Because it's funny as hell, right? The scene when he's like doing the curse words and they're all censored. Yeah. But also there's this undertone of like, this guy's gone insane. Like I thought he was going to be the one by the end of the film, right? And like a serious sci-fi, he's the one who's like gonna bring the ship down. Yeah. He's the guy bit by the zombie that won't tell the people. Right. In that moment of watching him do that, and then just he watches himself devolving into madness and becoming a cartoon. Right. And then goes, got it, pressed record, and continued to be a cartoon. Right. I thought that was really good stuff. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's like, actually, I was, because I was, I was like, pinback, besides like, because I love the band pinback. I, I looked it up too. Apparently, this is where they got their name, which is awesome. I was like, Pinback, though, sounds like it's the name of another character I know. And I was reading, so, and I read it. It's um, Mark Strong's character in Sunshine, the bad guy in Sunshine, is uh, Pinbacker. And I was like, oh shit, they're doing. So, Sunshine technically is like the more serious version of Dark Star, essentially. Where Pinbacker That's true, does, they're gonna blow up a star, right? Right. So Pinbacker, yeah. Pinbacker essentially <laughs> tries to sabotage the mission. I'm like, oh shit, Pinbacker! Like, holy shit! Like, yeah. Well, if you Pinback shave his head and fucking give him the Mark Strong makeover, of course. Yeah. I'm like, that's what Pinback looks like in a real side. I know, and I'm like, oh wow, like so. Pinbacker's <laughs> mission in Sunshine is like essentially the opposite direction, serious note of dark star i'm like yeah. i was fucking blowing my mind i'm like that's kind of, i'm I, now i'm like i have to go read like a bunch of alex garland articles and be like did you watch dark star and be like how do i make this a serious movie of course he fucking saw dark star but i mean i think stuff like that is wonderful right Me too. just even the concept that they found somewhere in space as they're blowing up chaotic rocks right mm -hmm. they find sentient life elsewhere in the universe in the beach ball we don't know if this was a populace if this was a one-off right uh and they are so uninterested and unmoved by this phenomenon yeah the fact <laughs> that the crew then is just like that's your mascot that you go like feed and sweep up after right but the 
their resources are not interested. When he finally pops it with the gun, he's like, that thing was made of gas. How did it survive made of gas? And you're like, yeah, that feels like an important fucking science question, doesn't it? Like, perhaps ye should have asked more questions. What were you feeding the gas fucking beach ball monster? Um, but just that that alone, right? They They found something out there. Yeah. And it did not dissuade them from their course of fucking destruction. Right. And it wasn't something they, if they sent back to Earth, they felt the need to show us that Earth was shook, Baba shook, yeah, by the information that they're sentient beach balls that also <laughs> have the wherewithal to know what airlocks are and laser manipulation. Right. So these are a predatory, murderous and intense species, right? <laughs> this is an important thing that the movie just really glosses over. It starts for kind of comedic effect. There are major implications in that. Yeah. It's again, glossed over cause it's a, you know, $60,000 student film. Yeah. But well, no, I think, I think it's to the point though. I think the best films are just made well enough that it then lets us start to take authorship, right? Right. And I think especially if you listen to the film Alchemist back catalog, I think we made a bit of a name for ourselves in the putting ideas and meanings into things that aren't there at all category. <laughs> and this is definitely one of those moments, right? I think it's just a fucking beach ball monster that's wreaking havoc, right? Yes. I think it is essentially a gremlin or Bugs Bunny, right? Right. But to me, I was like, this thing knows laser manipulation. There could be a planet of beach balls floating towards us right now. Oh, yeah. And I went into immediate, like, writing another dark subtext <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, that's Dark Star 2 right there. <laughs> Even darker. Dark Star 2, beach ball revenge. Yeah, Dark Star 2. They send out uh, the only survivor. They found Surf Boy. They send him back with a squad of Marines. Right? And they're like, we're going to recover the wreckage of the Dark Star and the rest of the bombs. And it lands on the planet that's now just chock full of the beach balls. <laughs> right? And a little girl that was orphaned. <laughs> yep. I'm Yeah. Boom, there you go. You're welcome. Hollywood. Give us a call. That sounds like something that no one's done before that we should nah, do that. Very original. Um, I do have a question. What did you fucking make of Powell being in the cryotube? Because they specifically said he was dead. Yeah. And how it rocked everyone on the crew, like, emotionally, that Pal was dead? And yet he... I... <laughs> All right, this was, like, my general prevailing theory. Pal was so beloved, and I think because they spent so much fucking time out there together, that it was, like, um, mummifying someone, and, like, they would go in there and just, like, talk to him occasionally. Because his mind is still operating and can talk through the cryo ice cube. Right? Correct. That part I really I thought that was cool too. So to the me, way it's like, like you I keep, forget so much in here. Like to me, it's a matter of you keep the you keep your resource. Like it's a resource of it's a resource of strength for the crew itself. That's true. It's weird too because they all seem to idolize and love him. Mm -hmm. And what we seem to glean from everyone else on the ship is that they could give a fuck about anyone else. Correct. Again, just by the. Uh, the Wild West shooting range 
that is the masturbation chamber. I mean, bedroom chamber, right? Like they clearly have no self-respect for each other. Yeah. Or no self-respect, no no inner respect yeah. for the group. Other than the masturbatorium, they clearly have absolutely no respect. Masturbatorium. Well, that just sounds classy. That's where we well, do it is, research. Well, it is space, you know. <laughs> Everything has to be science first. <laughs> Welcome to the masturbatorium. We make gravity three times as heavy here, right? <laughs> it's like a training scene. Ah! It's like Rocky Four in space. Oh, God. That is so disgusting. The Cold War just got hot. That could have been the tagline. For masturbatorium, the science fiction. <laughs> the so Cold War has never been so hot. So gross. Please stop. <laughs> Starring Roy Scheider's just shriveled, overly tanned space dick. Oh, wow. We're going right? back. Back to the well. Yeah. We're bringing it back to 2001. This is a crossover universe. <laughs> He's just in there drinking bourbon like, yeah, three times a gravity. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. We're so off on a tangent. I actually think Roy. I think Roy. I really think Roy Scheider would probably go into that room with all that gravity and all the tan would flake off. He would be like a whole new person underneath. Are you fucking accusing Roy Scheider, fifty some years later, of being a spray tanner? No, no, no. I mean, he, I mean, oh. <laughs> I mean, he's tanned so much that it's like crisped over. So literally, like the the weight of the. The, the weight of the gravity would literally, like, collapse the crispiness. That old sweet potato skin. <laughs> just, and it'd just be, like, milky white underneath. <laughs> just looking like Jason at the end of Friday the exactly. 13th coming up out of the lake. Yep. <laughs> just like a huge, freshly circumcised dick. That's what he looked like. <laughs> well, we're off the rails. No, um, final love letter to Dark Star, Alex. I mean... What's there not to like about someone's first movie? Like, not only that, two people who have, like, shaped pop culture and our love for a film over the over the decades. How can you not like their first go about and say, like, wow, they really fucking went for it and it works in several ways? Yeah. Hell yeah. Love it. One of my tests for this film when I was watching it, right? Do I think that this movie would still exist in our consciousness or be watched if it didn't have John Carpenter's name attached. Right. And I settled on, I still think, I think it'd be much less. Yes. I still think there'd be a percentage of people that watch this movie yeah. and were just impressed by the, this movie has like that pioneering spirit, right? We're fucking going out into the unknown. And again, they fucking tackled a space movie for their student film with not that much money. Right. And again, I, I understand why people will say it's not like a great, great film, but what they achieve in this movie is impressive nonetheless. And like you said, they always they're not worried about it being a comedy or a sci fi. The needle always goes to what will entertain us the most in the moment. And it pretty effortlessly swings back and forth across a lot of dimensions. It's it's impressive work, man. I never made a $60,000 movie. Well, we're about to. $6,000. All right. Patrons, listeners, <laughs> we're raising $6,000 for our movie, Masturbatory. <laughs> uh, Ness, you deserve better. I'm Good so Lord. sorry. Who $6,000 for that? Oh, 
Ness, I apologize. We are but simple earthbound folk. Ness, I hope great that pick. you love this movie. Yeah, thank you so much for selecting it. I hope you had fun with our episode, especially. I hope all of you enjoyed your time aboard the Dark Star with us. Uh, guys, we have one more stocking to stuff, and it is train spotting coming up. So what a way to finish the year. Just an Woo. absolute high-octane love letter to cinema. Capital C, cinema. So, guys, uh, if you want to get in to get your stocking stuffed, vote on movies. Pick the specific movies you want to hear us talk about in a patron-exclusive library. Join our Patreon community. As little as a dollar a month, you can get in see if you... Uh, you dig what we're working on, and as you go up the system, guys, the Highlander tier ranking system, you can pick the specific movies you want and get to hear all the other awesome movies that our patrons have already selected. So, guys, that's patreon.com slash Pod. Thank you so much in advance for supporting us. It means the world. Thank you to all of you. Uh, the email is filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. The YouTube is Film Alchemist. Go on, check us out. You know you want to. I actually look like I could be on the crew of Dark Star right now. Yeah, you look good. I'm looking a little fucking haggard. I'm going to have to get my Manscaped kit out. Former sponsor shouts out uh, for my face. <laughs> Make sure you leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show. Uh, stay tuned for our Kickstarter for Masturbatorium. Starring Roy Scheider as a hologram. <laughs> Sorry, it's so late in the morning. We're so... This is my fault. I'm, I'm going to take the L for mankind. I love it. Uh, thank you again, thank Ness. You, Ness. Thank you, Film Alchemist. We'll see I'm you Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Bye.